Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about oysters. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I'm imagining there are people listening who immediately were like, mmm, oysters, and other people who were like, ugh, yuck. <laughs> <laughs> I love oysters. I, me too. I'm a huge fan. But my wife thinks they're totally disgusting, which I can understand because, to be honest, I'm a little bit of a picky eater, and I don't even know why I like oysters because it's the kind of thing that would totally gross me out, but I just love them. So, like you said before the show, the Meal of Kings. <laughs> yeah, it's that briny taste and, yeah. and the mignonette you put on it or in it. It's perfect. So good. So the idea for today's episode comes from an email I sent out last week about uh, that started off talking about oysters and how I, I love them, my wife hates them. And if someone gave us a plate of oysters, say we're at a restaurant and someone puts them down in front of us, I would be, I would jump on them. I would be, I would pay a lot of money for that, in fact. And she would pay a lot of money to not have to eat them. <laughs> so she'd probably pay a lot of money to not watch me eat them. <laughs> so the, the thing is, it's the same oysters, same oysters all day long. It's just to one person, they're extremely distasteful. And to another person, they're extremely desirable. And this, this is kind of a, it's actually, this is a value pricing concept because you look, what you want to find is a trade between you and your clients that's profitable for both of you. Mm -hmm. And people, since it's usually a financial, the finances or the, the money usually travels in one direction from the client to the, the provider, the consultant. And it's easy to imagine that the only person making a profit is the one that ends up with the money, but that's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. It's hard to see the money though. The money blurs it because it just feels like uh, profits are for money and you just think about it like that. But if you think about a situation where, you know, my wife is forced at gunpoint to eat oysters and she could pay someone to eat them for her, she would happily do that. Even though I would do it for free, she would pay me money to do it. So I'd be getting like double paid. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of stretching the analogy here, but uh, a, a better analogy is just is just like kids because kids don't really little kids just tend not to have money to exchange for things. So they, what do they do? They trade. Mm -hmm. And if Rochelle, if you've got a red balloon and I've got a green balloon, and we both like the other color better, we're probably going to trade them. Mm -hmm. And no money changed hands, but we're both better off. Because now I've got, yeah, I'm happier. I've got the color I like. You've got the color you like. And another way to put that happierness is profit. You profited, but people don't, you know, people think of money, profit. It's like the same thing to them. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So the, the, the reason I put it in the email was because uh, I wanted to, I, I said, you know, replace, replace the idea of the oysters or the balloon with the concept of risk. Clients, most businesses can't stand risk. They, they do anything they can to avoid it or mitigate it. And as a, a consultant or especially as an expert or a specialist, things that you're, you want to find things that your clients perceive to be extremely risky, risky and high impact that you are just like, it's just another Tuesday for you. You're just rolling your eyes like this is no big deal. And what's happening there when they pay you what they're paying you for in, in a big piece of what they're paying you for is to eat that oyster for them. They don't want that risk. So they give you the money and you take on the risk, but for you, it's not risky. So this is the, this is right. the really interesting thing is that the, the, 
what they perceive as a really high level of risk to you is doesn't seem risky at all. You're like, I do this every day. It's really not that big a deal. Well, or maybe it's it's somewhere in between. Maybe it's it, it is a little risky for you in the sense that, you know, you have that excitement about starting something new and you're like, oh, how am I going to solve this problem? But a part of you knows that you can. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's that excitement. So I could see, you know, both kinds of risk being something you want to take on as a consultant. Sure, it's a sliding scale. I mean, yeah. I, th I think when you're hyper specialized, it's less about it, it gets less and less about the excitement and more and more about the eye roll. <laughs> it's like it's kind of the problem with hyper specialization is you could imagine getting into a place where you're um yeah, I guess I don't know if I really believe this, but you could theoretically imagine getting to a place where the the highest profit work that you're doing is just a slam dunk every time you turn around and you know and there are differences dealing with different clients there's always going to be differences and there are always going to be subtle situational things that are not the same so i don't think you necessarily get bored but a lot of times when you know i'm working with developers and they say oh i'm just so bored of this and i'm like that's when you're about to start making money <laughs> Assuming your clients still want it, I mean, you need to be in demand. But if you're bored, that's a great sign that you're in for like big profits. Interesting. Or it's time to leverage if, if you're going to leverage. Yes. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can start doing something differently and leverage out the things that you just don't want to do anymore. Right. So take your expertise and apply it in a different way that's higher leverage. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's so rote to you. You could, you know, maybe do a DIY course. It depends on what you do, but it could be something that you perhaps get a few trainees or something underneath you or people that you certify to do this thing that you're so good at that you can teach it to 10 people and uh, maybe you could license out intellectual property. There's a bunch of things you can do. You don't have to sit there and just be bored. But I'm just saying it's when you get to that phase where you feel a boredom, it's like you're I'm like, oh, you're poised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I keep thinking about that. And maybe it's because um you know, a lot of my clients are are doing, there's an aspect of what they do that is really about being creative. And so when they get bored, I, I guess the thing you have to watch out for is when you get bored, is it because of how your mind works and you really need to move on to the next thing? Or is it because you've created something that's of huge value and you need to exploit it before moving on to the next thing? Yeah, it's, I mean, yes, the, there are lots of different situations you could be in. I do not work with creatives in, as a rule, not as a rule, but in general, <laughs> and, you know, I work with more like numbers people and, you know, coders and, mm -hmm. and so for them, they're not actually bored, bored, like they still like their job, they, but they'll get like, they get shiny object syndrome really bad. And they're yeah. like, oh yeah, I mean, I know how to do, I know how to, I don't know deliver a million dollar website in a week using PHP, but I'm kind of sick of PHP. So I'm going to switch tools and, uh, you know, it's like okay. playing on hard mode for no reason. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, mm -hmm. a very different kind of thing than I think the kinds of folks that, um, that you tend to work with. But I mean, you can think about it like, like think about something, um, like a, even something as silly as like a photo shoot. So the, I've been setting up my office to try to get the lighting a little bit better and the background a little bit better. I have like a cool little office, but the light and the backgrounds don't play well. <laughs> okay. So, you know, the, the wall behind the windows is the worst looking wall. 
So I want to, you know what I mean? So I've got a light problem. I've got like, I don't, you know, I was like, what do I do? do I, and I could have someone come in here and just set the place up. I'm sure of it. I, I, it mm-hmm. didn't even occur to me until just now. But in, I, honestly, I did not even think of that. And what I did do was, you know, Erica had some lights in the basement and all this stuff. I humped this stuff down to the, the office and I'm setting it up and like trying to assemble these stands and light boxes and, <laughs> or whatever they're called, soft boxes. And like, like physical world is not my forte. <laughs> you think? <laughs> it's just not my thing. I'm not handy. I'm just not good with stuff like that. And I, I swear within five minutes, I had to like count to 10 about five minutes in to just not walk to the dumpster and throw everything in the garbage because it was just such a disaster. I was like, I have no idea. It just makes you, it makes me feel like an infant. Like I'm powerless Mm -hmm. to like do what is, must be a simple thing. And so I was, and I I was actually thinking about this. I was like, I have all these photographer friends. They would be laughing and laughing at, you know, they would have a great laugh, me trying to put together a softbox, And Mm -hmm. they could probably tell me like, they could probably say two sentences that would make me be able to do it. And I was thinking about like the, the, it was sort of pulling this back around to risk, like the idea of setting up a, 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 this sort of an environment under time pressure. So say you have an event, uh, you're Mm -hmm. doing a live event, you're going to be at a, at a conference or whatever. You've got something, you've got some um, high profile guest flying in to, Maybe I have a guest flying in to interview on video in my little office. Now all of a sudden I've got risk and there's no, there's no leeway. There's no, um, uh, there's no margin for error, you know, cause it needs to be right at a particular time. Mm-hmm. So I would absolutely pay some, I would absolutely take all my stuff and throw it in the garbage and I would get somebody <laughs> to come down here and set up. And I, I almost said a professional rig, and that is what I mean, but that's not why I care. I don't care like, oh, this guy's a professional photographer or whatever. I just trust that I don't have to work. Like, I just want to pay someone to not have an entire class of things I'm worrying about. Well, you want an outcome. You're buying an outcome. I am. I am, but that's not what it feels. That's not the thing that's getting me to hire. Like, I could get the outcome theoretically if I managed to set this stuff up. The thing that I'm paying for is I don't want to worry about all that junk. It's a distraction. It's mine. Yeah. I don't want, I want to pay someone to worry about this for me. I, mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I want the outcome. There's probably 10 ways I could get the outcome. But the thing that I, but the thing that I'm really paying for, the thing that causes me to pick up the phone is that I'm, I don't want to worry about all this stuff. Meanwhile, I have to conduct an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. And I'm worrying about getting a softbox set up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. As wrong wor- worry. Wrong worry. <laughs> Yep. I should be researching the guest. So I would absolutely pay to get rid of that worry because I, yes, I want the outcome, but I really don't feel like that's what I'm paying for. It, that's, that's the taken for granted piece almost like that the, that the lighting in the video will be good. And there's a bunch of ways I could do that. I don't like, it's not even that, it's not even that I'm thinking about that so much in the moment when I make, when I make the shopping decision. It's that I want someone who, and I'll probably call five people, and the one who I trust most over the phone is the one who's going to get the gig. Almost irrelevant of price. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You want that peace of mind, and you'll yep. pay what it takes to get it. Yep. So you can worry about Schwarzenegger. Right. Yeah. And people, I say this to people a lot, and you, let me, you probably have a much better way of phrasing this. I'm bad. I'm not good at it. But paying for that peace of mind to people who operate in my realm 
sounds like BS. Like, you know, have the peace of mind to know that your website won't go down on Black Friday. Like, they think that's BS, but it's not. But I'm well, not, I'm not great at express. Like, they're so not in their client's shoes that I don't think they see it. Well, I, I think, you know, for me with, with developers and coders, it's like, to me, they're like gods that they can figure out how to make this stuff that I don't understand work. So they need to get inside their heads and realize that they, they have that value. But I think part of it is it's, it's hard to sell on peace of mind because it's not distinct enough. A lot of people say it, but I think what you really have to do is you have to demonstrate it. You demonstrate it and you and you can demonstrate on your website. You can demonstrate in the contracting call, in the way you use examples, in the testimonials. Testimonials are great for peace of mind. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. But it's hard. I, I find it's hard to market on that because I don't trust that till I till I trust the person. Yeah. I mean, and trust is a, a common theme here, too. So you need to. And, and that's what I was saying about the. Uh, I specifically meant when I, if I talk to five people on the phone, I'm going to pick the one I get the best vibe off of, you know, it, I, I mm-hmm. might not have right. even gone to their websites. I don't care. Like I want to, I want the one who I believe is, is going to take my worry away. The one who, you know, and it's going to happen. Uh, it, it could happen from a testimonial. It could happen from a recommendation. It could happen from a video of me watching the person. It could happen from me seeing the person on a conference. Uh, it could happen mm-hmm. from a lot of things. You know, you, mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, you know, the headline, it's not like an insurance company headline, like, oh, have the peace of mind knowing that your children are protected. And it's not like that. Right. You know, so when it comes around to like, how are you building trust in the market, really? You know, because uh, it's it's all tied together. It's like, if you are going to sell risk reduction, or if you're going to trade risk for money, then it's really important for you to do whatever it takes to gain the trust of the people who you're trying to sell to. And there's, you know, a dozen ways to do that. Well, I want to go back to something you said like really early on and you said, um, take on something that's risky and high impact. And I think Mm -hmm. you've got to put both of those concepts together when you think about marketing, um, yourself, your business, your expertise. So you put those two together and then I just want to, I keep wanting to go back to what you had in that email, which is why I got so excited about talking about this, is looking for risks that scare your clients. And I, mean, I think the only way you can do that is try to get inside their heads. And they're not all the same, of course, but your sweet spot clients are going to have some of those same fears over and over and over again. I mean, if you design websites, Everybody's afraid of designing a website. They don't know what it should look like. They don't know what it should say. They don't know what the visuals should be. They don't know how it should operate, i.e. be coded on the back end. They just don't know. They, and they, worse than that, a lot of times they don't know what they don't know. And if, if you're the one that can come and slice through all of that uncertainty and build confidence that you know what you're doing and you can create these outcomes, I mean, you literally can charge almost anything you want. <laughs> people are like, nah. <laughs> but if you find people who have, see, the, the thing is this, if you have somebody who's just dorking around with an idea and thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to start a knitting empire, like we were talking about before, I, yeah, maybe I'll do a couple of videos and I'll do put a few things on YouTube and I guess I need a, a website. 
that's not, I mean, no. it, it might be very uncomfortable for the person who's trying to put that together to do it because it's outside of their skill set, but there's no risk. There's no right. high pressure. There's no high impact, right. nothing. Yeah. But You don't want to serve that market. Right. It's But there are people out there, uh, I don't know, who's some, somebody who's, say, recently in the news or someone who is someone who is very well known in a particular space, but launching their first book, you know, say Mm -hmm. some, for some reason I flashed on um, when Michael Jordan retired from basketball and he like went into baseball. So that is a very high risk situation for him. And perhaps there's, I don't know how a web developer would contribute to that, but, but I guarantee that that was a very high risk situation and that was uh, sleep was lost. And that's, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the thing I keep coming back to. It's like, where are people losing sleep? So I tell people when, when they are doing market research, talking to their, um, you know, that sounds like, I don't mean like formal market research necessarily. I just mean like talking to past clients, current clients, and potential clients. Mm-hmm. So nothing, no big deal, but you're just having conversations with people who you seek to serve. And I always say, look for the emotionally charged language. Look for some place where their voice starts, to, they start to get emotional. Mm-hmm. And drill into that because that's the place yep. where perhaps maybe it's not, you know, maybe the Venn diagram of their pains and your skills don't overlap, but drill in there because that's the place where they are losing sleep or that's the thing. Like, mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to always be a fear. It could be a huge opportunity, but there's, you, know, you can kind of flip that into a fear by saying they're going to miss the opportunity. But look for that because it boils down to like finding something that's going to be very profitable for them that's low cost to you to provide. So a high value thing to them that's low cost for you to provide. And if you've got this, you know, so like, like trading the balloons, like, Oh, I'll just trade. Yeah. Well, now we're both better off. Like, Oh, I've got this $250,000 doing nothing in my bank account, but I do want to launch this book. So how about I trade you the $250,000 for a, a book launch funnel or a mm-hmm. book launch website or a marketing campaign for this book launch? I'd much rather have right. a successful book launch then. And I know I don't know how to do any of that. Like I know I had to write this book. I know I'm an expert on the thing the book is about. And I know that I'm going to go on tour to support the book, but, and I know that I need an entire realm of uh, digital artifacts around that. And I know, and I know I know nothing about that. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to, you know, fumble the ball here by trying to figure out WordPress on my own. <laughs> The thought of Michael Jordan programming his own WordPress site just does not compute. He's got bigger fish to fry. Yeah, I think. So, yeah, I I just wanted the point of that email really was to call out risk because it's this thing that everybody just sort of ignores. It's almost like underground and nobody thinks about it. I'm sorry, not nobody thinks about it. The clients all think about it. Right. Like they feel it. If it's there, they feel it. Mm-hmm. And the the providers are the ones that never think about it. They're like, "Oh, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do these activities on your behalf, and then I'll be done, and then you owe me because I did all these things for you." But there's a way to do that without ever taking the risk away from them. And that you know that's what billing by the hour does. It never takes the risk away. So it, it's like they still have this horrible feeling the whole time, and and that's yeah, that's just bad. You know, it's an area, uh, it's an opportunity for improvement. Let's well, say. You know, Jonathan, I learned this a while back when I had my company with multiple consultants. And when I got your note, I just had this flashback. I mean, I could remember sitting in the backseat of a rental car in Detroit 
and the chairman of the board and the CEO were in the front seat. And we just finished this meeting with the brass of the company that they just acquired to spin out. So that was their specialty, was spinning out these companies. And we were figuring out how to staff the project. And, you know, I was running my own multi-consultant firm at that point. And so I explained, I couldn't run this project myself because somebody had to be in Detroit on a regular basis. And I couldn't run the company and do that both. Um, But they wanted me desperately. So I'm sitting in the back seat and I'd throw out an option and each one would cost more money. And they kept saying, yes, (laughs) well, yes, we want that. And it was kind of like that, that old line. It's like, my price is $5,000. And the client says, yes. And you say, and that's for my assistant. (laughs) And for me, it's, and, but because, right. Never heard that. (laughs) Oh yeah. So because it was a bet, the business problem and they trusted me, I mean, we'd already been through, you know, one of these together. And so it's, it, this light bulb went off for me in a way that said, I get it. They need this solved. I'm going to help them figure out how to solve it. And so we finally cooked up a solution, you know, in the back seat. And that turned into a half million dollar assignment, which, you know, for my little firm was a big deal. Mm. And it was risky and high impact. And I walked away never forgetting that lesson. Mm. And so check this out, dear listeners. They, you, you, I was going to call it out, but you did it yourself. They, you're the one they trusted. They trusted you to solve this particular or, or to, to fill this particular gap, whatever it was. Right. If, did they shop around? No. No. Why? They brought me to the meeting. Yeah. They, 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 they were selling the, the client. They, their customer, quote unquote, was this organization that was spinning out a piece of it. And they brought me to that meeting before the deal was closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been in a similar situation. Deal. Yeah. Right. And they can't. There's no, you could almost name your price. It's like, how much money do you have? Okay, I'll take it all. It's like the, because they can't, that trust that they have in you, they can't just go manufacture with three other people. It would take a really long time for them to find someone else who they trusted. So you have zero competition, you know, and maybe there's some, I mean, could there have been, I suppose in some cases there could be a rock star on the, in the industry that maybe they trust, but don't know, you know, like, I don't know who's a, you know, Peter Drucker's available, you know, <laughs> something like that, <laughs> you know, but that's very, and I'm, I'm just looking for, I'm just looking for any kind of devil's advocate position. Cause once somebody trusts you at a particular thing, you're the go-to guy or gal for your thing. And they know you, they've, they've got, you know, uh, not, I'm, I'm, well, how, how deep of a relationship was it? Like how uh, long did this- they know you? With the CEO, maybe a year and a half, but we had done a spinoff um, in her business. So okay. we'd been through the fire once. The chairman of the board I'd only met a couple of times, didn't didn't know him quite as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you guys, you, she knew. Oh, yeah. There's no question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she did. And and there, I'm sure there were other people that could do this work. I mean, I could have probably named two or three people that I knew who could do the work. Sure. But they didn't have the specialty that I did in spinoffs or the knowledge of the parent organization, or the experience of how they like to work that I got from the first assignment we did together. Mm-hmm. Right. But it, it was only a year and a half. It's not like we knew each other for a decade. Right, right. But you did go through, like you said, you went through the fire, and you're about to go we through did. another one. And, did. you know, it sounds like you might have saved her bacon, or at least she thought you saved her bacon on mm-hmm. one or two occasions. So, you know, who are you going to go with? And so now this, to, to bring it to a sort of a tactical 
uh, example, because I think sometimes that helps people understand the, if, if someone wants, someone's got a high impact, bet the business problem, like you, you described it, they've got this big bet the business situation and they believe that you can help them with a piece of it. You can come to them with, if you're doing value pricing, if you're pricing based on value and not based on how much time it's going to take you to do something, then you can give them three options that are, that are more or less identical, except for the price and the level of risk that you're taking on. So for example, the highest level, uh, option that you could provide to them would be like the most access to you, uh, the the most amount of your personal attention, basically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe you'll be on site more. And it's not that you'll, it's not that they're not paying you to be on site. They're paying for a huge amount of your attention. And a lot of times that translates into some on-site visits or something like that, but it's access to you, the one sitting in the back of the rental car. And then there could be a, (laughs) a low tier option where, they get access not to you at all, but to, to uh, bodies at your firm to execute whatever the stuff it was that you were executing. Like, oh, well, you know, you guys, you guys can just tell them what to do and, you know, they'll do it. They've got experience how to execute these activities. And, and that's maybe a fifth, maybe even less of a percentage of the highest option with, you know, you personally on site. And then in the middle, there's some sort of some sort of, you know, Goldilocks just right thing that makes sense for both people. Cause you don't want to be on site in Detroit for the next six months. And they want more attention than just, you know, they want more of your attention than just a couple of bodies from your firm. And maybe they can get you on the phone. Uh, so then you find this thing in the middle and at the end of the day, you're all driving toward the same goal. Mm-hmm. It's like you want, you, st- you want the spinoff to be successful or the acquisition to be successful. You want that success but it's a question of like who's shouldering the risk throughout that six month process. Cause it, at the end, it's probably, you know, if it works out, then it, then it's okay, fine. We took the risk, the, the most risk, risky option and it worked out. So who, but if you take the highest, you know, if they take, they're like, no, I don't want to worry about this. I want to have a different kind of experience. I, I, I don't want my attention to be focused on these things that Rochelle can handle. I've got to focus on these things that only I can handle then they're going to automatically pick the one that suits their level of discomfort with whatever the risk is. Yeah. And I think the other piece of this to, to not forget is that when, when you do this with clients, you're partnering with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're truly partnering with them. So all of a sudden, when you're taking risk off someone, you're not a vendor, right? Mm-hmm. You're a partner. Mm-hmm. And it changes the dynamic between you and the client. And at least for me, that's what makes me love consulting. I don't want to be somebody's vendor. I don't have any interest in that. But to be their partner and help them through something changes the whole dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that's why I like that's why I like to take the clock off the wall. There is no clock watching mm-hmm. with me. You're not watching the clock. If we need to mm-hmm. talk about something, we need to talk about it. Right. And in not all cases, but in lots of cases, I offer different kinds of guarantees, which put the put the um, not on the outcome, but on the experience, uh, that sort of thing. Sometimes the outcome, though. And I'll say, like, it just puts that much more pressure on me because now I've got real skin in the game, you know. And can, can you give an example of one of those that's based on experience? Uh, based on 
You mean one that like a typical example? Like a, a, a guarantee that's based on experience. Like what would that look like? A better audience would like to hear that. Sure. So for, you know, I, I've, I've got a range of different kinds of guarantees for different kinds of things. So starting at the bottom, it'll be like a no questions asked money back guarantee. And if somebody buys my book or any kind of digital product that is just easy for me to, you know, it's just like zero right. incremental cost. So just without question, I just refund it. If somebody, if somebody even emails me that it's like, ah, you know, it's not really what I expect. I just refund them. I don't even reply. I just refund. Mm. So that's the very bottom level. So farther up, be something like a, uh, a one-on-one coaching call, just a, like a one-off. Um, uh, hey, I need to pick your brain about something. Okay, it's 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. And we jump on a call. I say at the end of the call, all right, and the, the guarantee is if you feel like you haven't gotten your money's worth at the end of this call, I'll give you your money back. Right. And at the end of the call, I'll say, so what do you think? You know, how was that? They're like, oh, my God, that was amazing. So I'm like, great. And, you know, but these are still, these are, these are very, you know, money back guarantees, but for things that are very low labor intensity for me. Right. Then when you get up to something like a, um, a retainer, which is my bread and butter, monthly advisory retainers, I'll say, uh, I'll guarantee that in, you know, if, if, uh, uh, it's sort of a professionalism guarantee, if I don't, operate, I don't know the exact language, but if I don't operate in the manner that's described in this thing, if at any time in the first 30 days, you don't, uh, you're not happy with the fit, you're not happy with me, or you just change your mind, I'll give you your money back, no questions asked, but only in the first 30 days, because those are mm-hmm. ongoing assignments. If they, if we make it through the first 30 days and everybody's happy, then it's going to be fine. But I don't want to be right. in a long-term relationship with somebody who wasn't happy with, you know, like if it, if it yeah. turns out it was bad then I'm going to give a money back guarantee mm-hmm. for something like a software project where there's a lot of labor involved. And, um, let, let's say I'm actually involved in the build back in the day when I used to actually build stuff, then I would say, uh, I would give a bug free guarantee. So, mm. so we'd say, okay, what's the desired outcome of this project? Okay. We want to get up, you know, I don't know. We want to get from off of FileMaker Pro and onto MySQL for our website. Okay. So we can scale up to, Handle thousands or tens of thousands of visits per day. All right, great. Got it. I definitely can do that. I'm 100% confident I can do that. If I can't do that, I should quit. You know? (laughs) I should just go be a garbage man or whatever. It's like, I know I can do this. So, all right. Go through that project. The guarantee there, and the things I won't guarantee, I will not guarantee a delivery date because that's, that's impossible to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some things I won't guarantee, but I will say it'll be bug free. So when we, when, so they give me a fixed price, I can't cut corners because I will fix bugs for free to the end of time. Mm-hmm. So it has to be really good. So without, right. without the guarantee, then you have a, a fixed price bid for a software project without a bug free guarantee. They, their brain immediately is like, Oh, well, you're going to do a crappy job. You're just going to yeah. rush through this and get to the end. Yeah. And give us this pile of garbage that like works on launch day and then falls apart six months later. So, but if you add a guarantee like that, then it's great. And everybody's incented. Right. Exactly. All the incentives are in the same direction. Yeah. And people, software developers listening to this are panicking because they're like, no, but my customers break the stuff and then I'd have to fix it. Fine. Do it. But charge enough that that's, that that's cool. Right. So, you know, just imagine. And if you really, if you really want to, hedge your bet, you can say bug free guarantee for, for a year after launch or six months after launch or something like that. I'd buy that. 
Sure, of course. Who wouldn't? That's normal. Yeah. That's that's like yeah. buying a car. It's like, oh, I'm going to buy this car. First of all, I want to know how much it's going to be. I don't want to know how much it's going to be per hour to own this car. <laughs> I want to know how much the car costs. So they're like, all right, here, it costs this much. All right, great. Now I want to know what happens if I drive it off the lot and the thing flips over. It's just like a piece of garbage, you know, it just breaks down. All right. Yeah, we've got this. We've got this warranty. It's not forever and ever, but, you know, it's a warranty. Right. And right. it's entitles you to these things because what are they doing? They're speaking to your fear. They're saying like, uh, they're not like, I'm not saying they're agitating your fear. They're saying you have fears about making this large of a purchase and you want to hedge your bets. You want to like have some insurance uh, to sort of calm yourself down. And if they, in offering a warranty like that, whatever, five years, 50,000 miles warranty, what they're saying is this car is not a piece of junk. Like we stand behind this because why wouldn't mm -hmm. we? Because it's an awesome car. We're standing here telling you this is an awesome car. We want you to give us $75,000 for this awesome car. And it's so awesome that we'll put our money where our mouth is and say that, you know, we'll fix it for free for, you know, 10 years or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. I bought a car like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look around. Like there's this sort of thing exists all over the place. Like some of the, you know, L.L. Bean boots, they return them, lifetime guarantee. Just they broke. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean? Now you're going to spend like a crazy amount of money on a pair of boots. But once. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you like a different Just style once. and then you go buy and buy another pair anyway. <laughs> In another color. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. But that, that lifetime guarantee, I mean, you know that you're aware of that, even if it's your subconscious. Mm -hmm. And I like the, um, I really like the, um, the bug free guarantee. I mean, it would be interesting if, you know, everyone who's listening could sit and think about how can you create in your business with your specialty, the equivalent of a bug free guarantee, uh, you know, how, how can you do that? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a designer, um, I can already hear the designer saying, but, but it's so <laughs> subjective, <laughs> but there's, there's probably a way to design, to design something in terms of how you approach your work and the pricing that gets you to that point. Yeah. I mean, the thing with, the thing with design is if in a B2B scenario, a business is hiring you to create a business outcome or to contribute to some business outcome. They are like, they mm -hmm. believe they're right. going to get a positive ROI from hiring you. So the tricky part is, or the, the thing that the reason it ends up feeling tricky to the designer is because the designer almost never finds out what the business goal is. So, uh, you know, I have a, f a friend, Nick, Nick DeSabato known as Nick D online, and he is a designer's designer. I mean, this guy is like one of those guys, but mm -hmm. He specializes in A-B testing. So he's like, he's like, look, it doesn't matter what my opinion of you, after the obvious stuff, like there's a, there's a lot of obvious stuff, like people need to be able to read the copy, like the cut, it needs to be con high, high contrast so people can read it. Like after the mm -hmm. obvious stuff, when you start getting down into like colors and, and, you know, positioning and you know, nuances of the language, like really subtle stuff. He's like, it doesn't matter what I think. I would love it if I designed a website. I would love it if you paid me to design a website that I believe is beautiful. But that does not mean that it's going to sell more widgets for you. Because your mm -hmm. customers might think that, oh, now this looks expensive and we want cheap widgets. So maybe I need to design a site that looks cheap. Mm -hmm. And you know how we're going to figure that out? We're going to figure it out by picking something to measure and we're going to measure it. And we are going to track our progress as we make changes toward increasing the numbers that you want to increase. Businesses have KPIs. 
And if yep. you, if you can't affect them or contribute to them, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know, be, yeah. go, go be an artist. That's cool. That's a, that's a, a perfectly reasonable career to have. But if you're, I, I'm a, kind of a hard line on this. Like when it comes to design, I'm like, you're not an artist. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I would never say that to a designer. I say you're a creative and I've actually worked with artists, but I only work with artists who can funnel it for the purpose of the client. Yes. And you're doing the funneling. Yes. 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 Yeah. You're, you're like I mean, that's the business what, that's, brain. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. And, and that, and so, you know, part of my business model is I can get access to people regular clients cannot get because those people won't work for a classic business person. They won't subject themselves to the horror of it is how yeah, they would make the logo it. bigger. Yeah. They don't, they don't want to deal with that, but I will work with them. I will be the conduit. I, you know, kind of protect them if you will, but also get their best ideas. And I also protect the, the graphic designers from themselves sometimes mm -hmm. by screening out designs that are not going to achieve the business objectives that we're working on. Um, but I, I'm just thinking of an example. I was working with a, a book designer and she came up with something like 14 or 15 different designs. And I said, all right, we are only going to show the client three. So I went through them with her. I picked the three I thought were the strongest. And, and, but be actually before I did that, I said, you tell me which one is your favorite before I give you any feedback. And she chose one, which I hated. Oh, <laughs> it was awful. And so, and I was kind of shocked because she's really talented. Her other stuff was amazing. And I said, so tell me why you like this. And she told me, so I picked my three, which obviously did not include her favorite. And I said, look, here's what I want you to do. You can add this for what show client. And the reason I'm going to say for you to do that is because I know this is your baby and this is important to you. Now, the only reason I let that happen is I knew the client would never choose it. Mm -hmm. It was so stark and so different. Mm -hmm. I knew the client wouldn't choose it, but by putting it in there, the artist felt heard and that her baby would be seen. Mm -hmm. And then when the client said, no, I really love this other one, all of a sudden it didn't matter anymore because her baby had been seen and she was fully engaged in creating what comes next. Now, Jonathan, you would say, oh, my God, I don't want to deal with all that drama. No, thank you. Just give me the one who's going to give me the three. But sometimes that's what it takes to get there. Yeah, I, no argument. I, I would like it if that that designer had that capability built in. You know what I mean? I, and I feel like they it would usually be, do. They well, usually do. I don't know. Usually, okay. This one, this one, I, I, I always ask them for their favorite. And while it's not always my favorite, it's usually in the top three, mm -hmm. typically, because, because if they've gotten a good brief and they've got a feel for the client and they're talented, you know, they're going to get it. Um, and then sometimes people just have an attachment to something. That's the artistic side that you just kind of, it, that's the, um, that's the, um, I can't think of what to call it. It's it's the thing that always surprises you. There's always something somebody just gets fixated on in, in this kind of a process. Yeah, I agreed. I mean, I, and I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm not saying it's not valuable. It, it absolutely is. But never forget that somebody who's writing you a check is expecting to get a positive ROI from that check, from that, yeah. that investment. And I want people to buy the book. That's why we paid right. a designer to do it. Otherwise, we'd just like design something ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like your your office and camera equipment. Yeah, we're, we're almost going down another into a new whole episode. <laughs> Save that thought. Yeah, yeah. 
So, okay. So to, to bring it all the way back around, the, the, really the focus of this episode is risk and taking on risks, finding risks that your clients would love to outsource to you, especially ones that you don't really feel are that risky. You know, things that you're like, you know, this is, this is fine. I know I can do this. And they're completely freaked out by and, and price yourself based on that, not how long it's going to take you to do the thing. Price mm-hmm. yourself based on, you know, what that feeling better, that happiness level that is going to be created in their minds, that peace of mind, that all of that, that is very real. It's intangible. Yes. It's tough to measure. Yes. But you can tell when it goes up and you can tell when it goes down and you want it to go up and that's going to be worth a certain amount of money to a certain kind of person. So if you find people that have uh, a very, you know, a bet the business situation or they have a gigantic opportunity or they just have a ton of money and they just don't care about money that much. These are all, this is all actual people that exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then find something distasteful to them that is not distasteful to you and do that. Simple. you just described the perfect business model for for a good section of our audience yeah there you go yeah absolutely our work here is done (laughs) 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 all right so we should wrap up uh anything 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 to add I, i just would reiterate you know three words risky high impact just keep those, think about how those apply to your sweet spot expertise and your sweet spot clients. And there's a market there if you want it. Awesome. Well, all right. With that, that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Michelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next week for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye.